Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by our brand new co-host here on Real Pod Wednesdays, Andy Anders. Welcome to the show, Andy. Happy to be here. I'm excited to get my podcast back on, as I was telling you beforehand. And, uh, you know, just excited really to be in this new position uh, covering Ohio State for 11 Warriors. Yeah, before we get into the Ohio State sports talk today, want to introduce you to the listeners because you are going to now be on here every week, just as Griffin was before and Colin was before him. And, uh, you know, I think you have a really cool story because you actually started at 11 Warriors as a forum poster. Uh, Unioto Tank 55 was your <laughs> username, uh, an homage to your career as an offensive lineman for the Unioto High School football team. And, you know, you were posted on the comments back in the day. You know, this was your this was your goal. You wanted to be in this position right now. You were uh, an aspiring sports journalist. And uh, thanks to your work uh, at the Lantern while you were an Ohio State student, you spent a little time covering high school sports in Alabama. You've been at Buckeye Sports Bulletin for the past year, and now you're here. So does it feel like a dream come true, Andy? It really does. You know, it's it's pretty surreal. Uh, and, uh, you know, every athlete I've ever interviewed about some big moment in their career says that, you know, it's surreal. But it really is, you know, when you achieve a goal like this, I um, – you know, when I it, it really sparked my love for sports writing. Growing up, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a surgeon, um, a neck surgeon specifically. And um, writing on the boards, you know, and I would just blog about playing football or I would do historical articles on Ohio State. Um, it, it sparked my love for sports writing in many ways. And I'd always loved writing, always loved sports. But it's just like it seemed like such a cool intersection of the two. I wanted to minor in journalism when I came to Ohio State, um, but they don't offer it as a minor. So I started out in chemical engineering on a pre-med track. Um, I've always hated science, so I don't know why I ever thought that was a good idea, but uh, I, I did that. And I, um, you know, seven weeks into my freshman year, I was sitting in a chemistry lecture and I, I thought to myself, well, why am I here? I hate this. So that day I walked into my advisor's office, said I wanted to switch to journalism. And uh, my first internship was actually with First Ohio Battery, uh, 11 Warriors' sister site that covers the Blue Jackets. You know, it's been a long winding road that's led me to here, but it's, uh, as I said before, a pretty surreal moment. I can tell you that I never wanted to be a neck surgeon and I never <laughs> took any chemical engineering classes. Uh, I, I uh, never saw myself going down that road, but I, I, I give you a respect for, for giving it a shot, but are happy that you ultimately uh, chose to come down this path. And, and it's cool, too, because your predecessors on the show, if I remember correctly, I believe you and Griffin were co-sports editors of The Lantern together. And when you started at The Lantern, Colin was the editor there. And so both of those guys have, you know, worked with you. I know Colin's been a mentor for you. And now you have this opportunity to follow in their footsteps here. Yes, absolutely. Um, I mean, you know, like you said, Colin was probably my biggest mentor when I was first coming up. Uh, I was covering the Ohio State baseball team for a semester uh, just as a beat reporter for the Lantern. And he took what was a very, very raw writing style at that time. I'll say, you know, I can remember stories where, you know, I kind of went crazy with with some you know with some puns or with some different writing vi devices and uh he he was really able to take my you know what i think i, I do have talent for this right because that's I'm, I'm in it as a career uh he took took what 
you know, those talents. And like any good coach, he, he sharpened them, he honed them with me and uh, really developed a lot. And, you know, we've both grown a lot since then, both in our careers and as people. Um, and I'm still close with Colin. I'm still especially close with Griffin. You know, I could, I'd consider him one, among my closest friends um, just because, you know, you go through those trials and tribulations a full year at the Lantern together. And uh, at the end of our year was when COVID happened, right? So, you know, we, we were actually, I love to tell this story and I'll, I'll keep it brief since I know we've got a lot of topics to get to. But uh, when we were, um, it was, what was it? It was Big Ten, it was the Big Ten basketball tournament and we're driving out to cover it. And at the day before that, I think, when we were was, when we were driving out was when the whole thing with Rudy Gobert happened in the NBA and like sports leagues were really starting to take notice of COVID. We get to Richmond, Indiana. We had decided we were going to stop the second we crossed over to Indiana because um, the Big Ten tournament was in Indianapolis that year. We were going to get dinner. And as we did, the, the news broke that the Ohio State spring game was going to be canceled. And so, you know, you're passing off news briefs, you know, me and Griffin trading off articles, you know, as, as news keeps coming, this is canceled, that, that's canceled canceled, etc. And, you know, I'm just sitting in a Texas roadhouse with my laptop out on the table, uh, writing this story about the spring game getting canceled. And I've got that open in one tab and Twitter open and the other watching the world burn. It's just, I don't know. It was such cool moments I shared with him. And that's, you know, why he's, like I said, we'll, we'll, we'll be friends forever. I'm pretty sure. Gotta love the spin of putting cool moments on uh, COVID shutting down the sports world. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, what can you do, right? You laugh about it. It took away my ability to watch a walk at graduation. You know, it's something you got to laugh about in hindsight yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And to, to your larger point, you know, Colin and Griffin were both uh, great co-hosts of his show. You know, I certainly consider both of them to be close friends as well. I know that they're both uh, very proud of you. And I, I have no doubt that uh, you are going to continue to uh, follow in their, their their footsteps and and do a great job here on this show. And we should say, you, you, you mentioned you're a talented writer, but you are a man of many talents, Andy. What else should the listeners know about you? I have an alter ego, Dan, that I'm sure you're alluding to here. Uh, Tank, that is my stage name, uh, born in part from my 11 Warriors user handle, actually, that kind of started me as Tank as one of my nicknames. And then some friends called me that in college. And so uh, Tank in all caps, I'm an, I'm a rapper. Uh, I, uh, it's just a fun hobby, you know, as of yet, nothing, no professional plans there, but I, I perform at open mics from time to time. I have an EP out on Spotify, Apple music, wherever you get it. Uh, anyone wants to check it out, it's called running from the void, very rough around the edges. You know, I'm, I've, I've only been making music since January. Uh, so, you know, my production skills are still, uh, still have a long way to go in terms of refinement, but, uh, some stuff on there I'm very passionate about, put a lot of time and effort into, and uh, I'd, I'd be grateful if anyone wanted to check it out, uh, you know, but it's it's just a very fun hobby and a very fun outlet for me. Believe it or not, this is something that Andy and I share in common. We both have had aspirations of rap careers. I, I gave mine up yes. after after high school, but uh, I, I have a lot of respect for Andy for, uh, you know, continuing uh, that pursuit and putting himself out there. If you're in Columbus, I believe Andy's going to be performing at uh, Ruby Tuesday Live on Thursday night. So that's correct. Uh, Pete. Yeah, go check him out. He'll be some performing some songs at their open mic night. But anyway, we know the real reason that you're listening to the show is to listen to us talk about Ohio State sports. So let's get into that because we are now only two and a half weeks away from Ohio State's football season opener. And Ohio State still doesn't have a starting quarterback. And in Ryan Day's most recent press conference Monday, it still didn't sound like he was even that close to naming a starting quarterback. Of course, 
Uh, Ohio State had its first scrimmage of the spring on Saturday with Kyle McCord and Devin Brown both still competing for that job, splitting first team reps. And the big thing Ryan Day said on Monday was that he wants to see more consistency from those guys. He said, you know, that it wasn't that their play was terrible, but he did make it clear that what he saw on that scrimmage Saturday was not what he's looking for if he was going to feel comfortable naming either one of those guys as the starting quarterback. So, Andy, when you hear those comments, like, what's your level of concern about the quarterback situation just based on what we heard from Day on Monday? Look, I mean, this is going to sound low relative to some other people, um, you know, reporters I respect, fans, but it's only, I, I wouldn't put it above average. I'd say it's about a three or a four right now out of 10. Look, my bottom line has always been in this battle. Both guys were top 50 national recruits. Day has developed three consecutive first round picks at the position um, and Heisman finalists to boot. I think with those two things combined, one of them should eventually be someone capable of leading this offense down the field. When you look at the weapons you have at receiver, you know, the best receiver in the country, probably in Marvin Harrison Jr., probably another top five national receiver in a Mecca Egbuka, what Julian Fleming brings, some exciting young options, Kate Stover off of historic, at least by recent standards, tight end season for Ohio State, um, all the running backs they have. So it, a quarterback is as much about the pieces around him as himself. Um, and while there are questions up front, which we'll get to later, the pieces around and the developmental processes that the, whoever the starting quarterback is going to be will have is are, are, they're going to be great. Now, on the flip side of that, of course, you do still have to reach a certain level of play to take full advantage of those weapons. And what we've seen so far from Kyle McCord and Devin Brown is kind of what Day said. You know, it's nothing to blow you away. It's not like I watch either of them in the few practices we've been able to view and say, oh, that guy sucks. But like to reach the level of a C.J. Stroud or a Justin Fields or a Dwayne Haskins, may he rest in peace, it's, it's a much bigger step that either of them is going to have to take. And so... Yes, this might be a year where the quarterback play isn't to that level, but um, I think even if it's not, there's other things about this team that can more than make up for it. Um, and so my, my level of concern isn't very high right now, but I'm, I'm curious to see where you stand, Dan. Yeah, I'm pretty similar to you, to be honest. I think those are all really valid points. I think, you know, you're right that, you know, of all the talent that Ohio State has on offense, that, you know, when Ryan Day said this, several times he said it again on Monday like they don't need the starting quarterback to go up there and be Superman they don't they don't necessarily need their, their quarterback this year to be as good as CJ Stroud Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins were because they have enough talent around them the defense is supposed to be better like if the defense is better and the players around the quarterback play the way you expect the players around the quarterback to play they don't necessarily need elite quarterback play to be a championship contender. Now, that's still the standard at Ohio State. Like, I mean, Ryan Day hasn't shied away from that. When Before camp started, he was asked about that, and he's like, yeah, the standard here at Ohio State is to be a Heisman finalist, to compete for a national championship, and to be a first-round NFL draft pick. That's the standard. And so, fair or not, that is the bar that they are going to be compared against. And that's a really high bar to reach. And I cannot sit here and say with two and a half weeks to go before the season based on anything we've seen or heard that I would expect the starting quarterback to play at 
that level this year. Now, that's not to say I don't think they're capable of it because I think <laughs> either one of them could be. And granted, like if you listened back to what you're saying about CJ Stroud two years ago, like there were probably a lot of similar concerns being said then about CJ Stroud because he had never thrown a pass in an Ohio State uniform before. So I, I think both of those guys are capable of being really good, if not fantastic starting quarterbacks for Ohio State. I think that's the good news. I think Ohio State has two quarterbacks that it feels good about, that it feels like have the potential to be great. You know, I mean, you can kind of look at both sides of a coin in a quarterback competition that's this close. On one hand, neither guy has done enough to separate from the other. And at this point in camp, you would have liked to have seen that happen. At the other time, part of the reason why nobody's separated from the other is because they're both really talented. Like when you think back to like when Justin Fields was going into his first year as the starting quarterback, I mean, his competition was Gunnar Hoke and Chris Chuganoff. Like, <laughs> I mean, nothing against those guys, but those were guys that were brought into Ohio state to be backups. They were. So it's a, it was a different kind of competition. Justin Fields was going to have to stink up the joint in practice to not win that job. I think even two years ago with CJ, even though he hadn't thrown a pass at Ohio State, he was clearly kind of a, the front runner all along. And like I think Kyle pushed him even two years ago. But Kyle was a true freshman at the time. And so the likelihood of Kyle beating out CJ for that job was always going to be a long shot. And so I think this year, it really is a legitimate competition because I think they have two guys that they like. But I also think you can't hear a thing's day said on Monday and think that, they, they, they are fully confident in either one of those guys just yet. And I think I looked at at this time next week. If we are back here at this time next week and Ryan Day still hasn't named a starting quarterback, at that point, maybe my concern level goes up a little bit. Because I think if you're a week and a half away from the first game and you still haven't named a starter, that would tell me that they really don't feel comfortable committing to either guy yet and i know andy you know we were talking about this off air earlier in the week you know you you think and i and i don't dispute this that there's a real chance that this competition could linger into the season yeah i um and that hasn't happened since 2015 right and we, we talked about that uh back when it was jt barrett cardale jones obviously they went back and forth a little bit in season we didn't know as media or I wasn't media at that time, but the, the media didn't know uh, until you know literally the first drive of the season that it would be Cardale Jones to take you know to start the first game, and then later it, it flipped on its head again, and it was JT Barrett. But going back to this season, of course, it's it is curious, um, and I pointed this out in my my story I wrote about the quarterbacks on Monday. It, the day I think was planning. Heading into fall camp, you know, I don't know this the plan. I don't know when the plan changed, but I think heading into fall camp, when we got the media availability schedule, they wanted to announce a quarterback this Wednesday because that's when the press conference was initially scheduled for, and that's the same time frame when he announced Justin, when he announced CJ, uh, as he pointed out on Monday, and I think that. The reason it got moved up was because, well, in the end, not ready to name a starter, right? So it's it, he. I think he wanted to have one by now for certain. Um, any sort of you know, you know, you always say like you want 
guys to push each other in a competition, right? You want to keep that competitive edge. And so you might let a battle drag out a little longer. I think Wednesday was kind of the deadline to where um, if there was a guy with an edge, it was going to be named by then. And we really are seeing an even quarterback battle. Um, now, do I think they want it to go to Indiana? Absolutely not. Um, but like they said, if that's what has to happen, that's what has to happen. And the fortunate thing is you can afford um, to – you have three weeks to iron out the kinks this year. You're not playing Notre Dame week one. You're playing on week four. So you get Indiana, uh, Youngstown State, and Western Kentucky to, to figure it out if you need to. Uh, you'd like to get it figured out as soon as possible to really start developing the chemistry amongst the pieces. But um, if, if, you, if it needs to drag out into week one, then that's just how it's got to be. Yeah, and it is worth noting, Ohio State will have another scrimmage this Saturday. And so I think, you know, that is part of the not naming a quarterback yet is giving those guys, you know, another full week culminating with a scrimmage to compete against each other. And I know with CJ, I think it was actually like this Saturday that he announced the quarterback. Now, granted, they, you know, they had called a press conference for that express purpose the day before. So I don't remember exactly if they had a scrimmage that day or not but they knew going into that saturday cj was going to be the starting quarterback they're, they're going to go into the scrimmage this saturday not knowing who their starting quarterback is splitting up those reps but i do certainly think that after saturday those com- those conversations are going to start to take place uh, about do we have a starter right now for sure or do we need to let this thing linger on longer? Because, you know, this is kind of a last, like, true week of camp. Next week, they start classes, and then the week after that's the first game week. So next week is when they'll kind of start transitioning into prep for that first game in Indiana. This is kind of like the last true week of camp. So I think certainly whether it's quarterback or whether it's, you know, the next position we're going to talk about, the offensive line, Ohio State would like to come out of Saturday's scrimmage after they watch the film. They, they'd like to be able to start setting that depth chart and have a pretty good idea of who those starting, starting guys are going to be on both sides of the ball in that first game at Indiana. Yes, and I, you know, one one final point I do want to make here. Um, you know, it, it's it's interesting too because you see a lot of people saying, well, if it's a dead heat and you really can't tell, then you should go to – Kyle because he's the most experienced. You should go to Devin because he's considered to be more athletic. I would push back on that. I think regardless of feelings, regardless of any other outside influence, regardless of who has the higher ceiling long term, you need to try and pick the best guy this year. I don't care what's next. I don't care, oh, well, Devin might be better next year, so let's go with Devin now. Like, it's This is such an important season in the trajectory of Ryan Day's career. Right, coming off two losses to Michigan, this team is really when you looked at the recruiting classes and how they are structured on defense right now. This is kind of a peak year to defensively. You you don't want to throw away this year for the future at any position, and so I, I think it's very important that they pick, regardless of status on the team, regardless of anything else, who's going to give us the best chance to win this year. Yeah, I completely agree with you on that because. As we've seen in college football, particularly of quarterbacks and transfers and all that, you do not know what's going to happen from one year to the next. I mean, Kyle could come in and he could tear it up and he could be like Dwayne Haskins and he could go pro after one year as a starter and that could open up a job 
for Devin next year, you know? So you don't know what's going to happen, but I completely agree with you. You you do not make this decision thinking about next year. You make this decision thinking about this year, period. Who's the best guy right now? And then depending on how this year goes, maybe that guy's still your starter next year, or maybe you have another quarterback competition next year that includes one of these guys in Lincoln Keenholes and Aaron Nolan. Yeah, exactly. But unless you had anything else, I think that would probably be a good transition into the offensive line, which you know is one of my favorites to talk about. So uh, just, I, I guess, kind of starting things off here, Dan, I like where are you, where is your head at as far as what this starting five is going to look like? I mean, we've seen what we've seen. We know who we think the leaders are. Um, do you, how open do you view each of those competitions at left, right tackle, and center? Um, and uh, just, yeah, just what's your general sense of, of where the offensive line starting group stands in the competition? of it yeah i think right now i i feel like it is pretty likely that jimmy or josh simmons whatever you want to call him is going to be the starting left tackle and that carson hinsman is going to be the starting center uh it's certainly the, the way everybody's talking about simmons it, they're talking about him like he's going to be the starting left tackle i think he uh you know he's the only guy that has a full year of starting experience at tackle i think he's the best athlete that they have at that tackle position. And I think that is a big reason why they ultimately made the switch last week to move Jimmy Simmons from right tackle over to left tackle. Because I think you know, you kind of think of that prototypical, like what a left tackle is versus a right tackle. And I, I think this gets overblown sometimes because you got to be athletic. I mean, good pass rushers will often line up against a right tackle. So it's not like either position is particularly more important than the other, but nevertheless, the left tackle is historically kind of your, your most athletic tackle, The right tackle is maybe kind of your bigger, more powerful guy. And I think if you look at their body types and, and just who they are as players, Jimmy Simmons fits that left tackle role more and, and Josh Fryer fits that right tackle role more. Now the, the competition of it's, interesting to me right now is right tackle because you know we've all expected Josh Fryer is going to be a starter this year and I would still lean in that direction but you know when when I asked I asked Ryan Day on Monday you know do you view Jimmy Simmons as the front runner to start at left tackle and he said you know he hasn't won the job yet but he basically said he's shown us what he needs to show us to make us believe that he can be starting left tackle when I asked him the same question about Fryer he talked about Fryer's versatility and then said, and Luke's looking good at right tackle too. So the way that Ryan Day has talked about Luke Montgomery dating back to Big Ten media days, it sure seems like they like what they're seeing from Luke Montgomery. And do they want to start a true freshman at offensive tackle? I don't know. I mean, I mean, Justin Fry acknowledged on Tuesday that he's only had one true freshman starter on the offensive line in his coaching career. And it's very hard to do that. I mean, the last guy who's done it at Ohio State, I think actually the only guy who's ever done it at Ohio State was Orlando Pace. And Orlando yeah. Pace was pretty good. So uh, it's, a, it's a big bar to set there for Luke Montgomery. But I do feel like they have not made a final decision yet. And I, and I think some of it, too, is like, is Josh Fryer the most likely guy to be the starting right tackle at Indiana week one? Probably. But I think there's some kind of elements like the quarterback position there, too, where I think if Josh Fryer enters the season as the starting right tackle, that seat's still going to be a little warm. I think 
he he's going to have to prove himself because I think they they maybe still have some questions about Josh as a as a pass protector and whether he's really a guy that can hold up on a consistent basis against top pass rushers. And then I think they're also just looking at the upside. And and again, going back to your point from before, let's be clear. This is about this year. It's not about next year. This is about who's the best right tackle for this year. But I I think they're maybe looking at it and thinking by the end of this year, there's a definite possibility that Luke Montgomery could be the better option at right tackle than Josh Fryer because Luke is more athletic. He has a higher ceiling. And so I think they're kind of weighing right now. Okay, one, are we sure Josh Fryer is a guy we can count on to be one of our bookends on the line? And then two, is Luke Montgomery ready to start as a freshman? And if he is, is he better than Josh Fryer? I I agree on all those points. Uh, Now, and again, like you said, it it might not be that he's better than Josh week one, but is he going to be better by week 13? And it's kind of inarguable he has the higher upside um, just from what we've seen from both guys and how athletic, how skilled uh, Luke was. I I go back to the fact that he played tight end and defensive end to start his high school career. I mean, he's shown you he has the athletic traits to be a really good tackle, and he could play guard too in the future if they needed. Not that they, it's not where he's at this year. Um, I thought it was interesting just the series of comments we've heard because it was so non-committal from Day when you asked him about it. As far as like, will Josh Fryer be the starter this year? Um, and him pushing Luke, Josh did not seem to think today at all that Luke was going to push him. He, he said that directly. He said, uh, "You asked him." whether you know if luke how much luke was pushing him and he said i don't think he's pushing me at all basically and he said that he painted it more as a mentor for luke right now so i don't know how much stock you put into that answer if it's just interesting to hear the difference between how the coaches have talked about that competition and how josh talked touched on it i'm not sure there you know it seems that also interesting that it's just boiled down to those two and that tegra maybe a little bit still involved he got mentioned by day uh, zin Mahalski wasn't even mentioned by uh ryan day as a part of the tackle competition uh the last time you know he was asked directly about you know who's competing at those spots so even to see luke step up and claim a second team role from more experienced players in that way is an extremely good sign for his future um and i think if you're ohio state you want fryer to be the better guy i mean it's his fourth year in the program you you want the experienced guy to step up and claim that spot we've seen it from him as a run blocker he did great filling in for dewan jones in that sense against indiana last year he was brought in for some goal line situations he played against michigan um, but it's it's like you said, it's the pass blocking. You have to have a certain level of foot speed. You have to have a certain level of just you know edge protection uh, when you're at one of those tackle spots, and um, that that's clearly what they're still looking for from him. I think you know when, when you talk about just the fact that he hasn't claimed the job yet, it's like well, what's missing? It's that he's got. <laughs> Again, a great crop of defensive ends to work against in practice to get better at it. But it's another person you'd like to see stake down his job by the end of the week because I think it's concerning to have a freshman starting a tackle. Uh, I don't think that's a position you want to be in. It's the most developmental position in football, offensive line in general. Guys usually take the most time for a reason. You know, There's a reason no one started as a freshman since Orlando Pace at offensive tackle for Ohio State. So you, you need to see Josh step up and claim that spot. Um, and uh, I, I'm sure he's doing everything in his power to do so. It's just, does he have that pass blocking ability that you're going to want out there, especially when you're breaking in a new quarterback? 
Yeah, and, and and to your point about his answer to my question, I mean, one thing that's been very consistent about Josh dating back to his spring is he is very confident in his ability to get the job done. I mean, he's made that very clear. I think I think he takes offense to the fact that people are continuing to question his ability to get the job done. But the reality is the way Ryan Day answered that question tells me if my interpretation of it is correct, that Ohio State is coaches are among those who still have most concerns about his ability to do the job because Ryan Day, I mean, even just dating back to big 10 media days, he has been given like at least three opportunities to come out and say like Josh Fryer's our guy and he has consistently not done it. And so, you know, I think it's, it's, it's evident that Ohio state is still challenging him. There's still more that they want to see from him before Ryan Day is going to come up to the podium and say, Josh Fryer is our starting right tackle. Yes. And, and now, you know, moving on to a different competition along the line, you know, Carson Hensman, I, I wanted to say really impressed with him in interviews today. Um, I don't know why it is. Centers are always like my favorite player to interview on the team. And I think it's partially because I played offensive line, but also because you have to have such a high intelligence at that position. It's a position that's so wildly undervalued by people. The good news for Whoever the starter is going to be there, obviously, it's another one. They haven't said who the winner is yet, but we've seen Hensman starting at all the practices we've witnessed in the spring and the fall. We've seen just, it's just, it has that sense about it that, it, you know, Hensman's the leader right now. I'm not going to totally write off Jacob James or Vic Cutler, but just to see that, again, it's the higher upside player and he's in his second year, unlike Luke, he's as a redshirt freshman. Just, but in his interviews today, he was so articulate. Pretty funny, honestly. There was a couple moments where I think he had the whole beat laughing. And you just love to see that intelligence from a center because that guy uh, has to make all the protection calls at the line. He has to call out the blitzers. He has to dictate, okay, this side's fanning, this side's pinching. It's in conjunction with the quarterback and the rest of the linemen, but you have to have a strong voice. And that's, I think, one of the areas of Hensman's game that he's indicated today. He's working to develop the most. He's a naturally soft-spoken guy, even if he... You know, he gave intricate answers to our questions today. He's a naturally soft-spoken guy. Um, and, you know, he talked about getting in there for his first practice this fall as the first team guy. Justin Fry said, we're going to baptize you by fire. And uh, he went out there and he saw Mike Hall and Ty Hamilton lined up across from him. And he kind of shuddered a little bit. But he's he's been encouraged by the people around him to step up and take command like that. Um I just, I, I don't know, Dan, in, in talking to Hensman today and uh, maybe in, you know, touch on some of the other guys in that center competition too, just just what's, where, where do you stand as far as that position goes for this offensive line? Yeah, I mean, I should say, you know, you, you talked up Hinsman, Hensman's interview today and I totally agree. He was very uh, engaged. I mean, offensive linemen in general, like I've found typically offensive linemen are usually some of the best interviews on the team. Like it's, I mean, even when I was covering Clemson, that was the case. So it, it just seems to be a trend that offensive linemen are usually some of the best interviews on the team. And I would say both Carson Hinsman and Vic Cutler, Jacob James did not do interviews today, but Carson Hinsman and Vic Cutler, I would say both fit that criteria today. Vic Cutler was a very, very uh, engaging interview today talking about uh, why he's, why he transferred to Ohio state and what it's been like for him and kind of how he's enjoyed the, the bigger spotlight that comes with playing at Ohio state. So I think both, both those guys, you could see that they seem like they're feeling pretty comfortable right now, like where they're at and like uh, they've got, they've got some confidence about them, but I, I do think that, you know, Carson Hinsman to me is the front runner to be the starting center. And, and, and I, 
really based that off the fact that you know, dating back to the spring, every practice we've been at, Carson Hinsman has been the first team center. That, that has been you know, We've seen a lot of changes at the tackle spots, but at center, Carson Hinsman has consistently been that first team guy dating back to the spring. And so we don't see everything. You know, maybe Vic Cutler's taken all the first team reps into practices we don't go to. But based off what we've seen, it certainly appears that Carson Hinsman is the lead guy. And, you know, Vic Cutler mentioned today that, you know, he didn't think he had his best spring. Um, you know, he mentioned that, you know, snapping has been a bit of a challenge for him learning how to do that again after playing tackle the last couple of years. And he acknowledged that he's still working on that. And so I, I think Hinsman's probably the guy who's more ready to go out there and, and be the starting center right now. Um, I, I, that's, that's the impression that I get. I do think that at this point, it's a competition between Carson Hinsman and Vic Cutler. I think Ryan Day made that pretty clear when he was asked last week if, you know, Jacob was competing for a job. And he's like, no, really, it's it's Carson and Vic. That, that battle's heated up. So I think, you know, Vic's the second team guy right now at center. Jacob's a third guy. But I will be surprised if Carson Hinsman is not the starting center. Yeah. And um, I, I think the other part of that, too, is, you know, like whoever's the quarterback has a lot of weapons around him. You've got two great guards to lean on. Donovan Jackson might be an All-American this year. Um, and, you know, Matthew Jones is all the experience he brings. And he's been proven uh, to be a very good contributor for this offensive line. So whoever's the center, um, I don't worry as much about interior blocking for them because you get to do a lot of combo blocks when you're the center, especially because, you know, you're right. You know, this is a little thing of offensive line play that I'm not sure a lot of people know when you're so everyone lines up off the center. Right. That's pretty. I mean, that's just common sense. But the center is the only player on the entire football field that is right on the line of scrimmage. He is right front and center. Everyone else on the offensive line is a couple feet behind the center. They, they get space to fire off the ball for a run block or to catch somebody on a pass block. When, you, when you're that much, like, just in the front, you're going to be contacted immediately. And on the interior, again, like I said, you get a lot of combo blocks. I, I think the, – so the blocking portion, you can help a center a lot more than you can help a tackle. Um, so I, I, that's another thing that will work to Hensman's favor. Not that he can't step up and prove to be an all Big Ten caliber center. I mean, he was a four-star recruit, top 200 guy out of Wisconsin, I believe. And, um, you know, I, I think he's got a lot of upside. Uh, and I, I like his, like I said, I like his mentality. I like his demeanor and enter. There were a couple of breaking news items in Monday's press conferences as well. You can't help but feel awful for, for Court Williams, who, uh, you know, you think of Cam Babb, and all the injuries that he had to go through in his Ohio State career. And uh, it's been a very similar trend for Court Williams, who uh, unfortunately last week suffered a torn ACL uh, for the second time in his career. He had uh, previously torn his ACL as a true freshman in 2020, came back and played some in 2021. Then in 2022, uh, he had he had shoulder he had torn labrums in both of his shoulders had to have three total surgeries that basically derailed his entire season last year then he then he decided before preseason camp started to make a switch to linebacker had op, had optimism that you know that would be a switch that was good for his future said you know I'm I'm never going to quit I'm going to ride this thing until the wheels fall off uh you know even when you know maybe it would have been easier to quit with all the injuries uh, have happened. And then to hear him say that, and then just a couple weeks later for him to now be out for the season again with, with, with a season ending injury. I mean, you, you can't help 
but just feel for a guy because, you know, he, he's a guy that's, you know, so well-respected uh, within the Woody Hayes Athletic Center who uh, is extremely well-liked, is regarded as one of a team's hardest workers, but unfortunately just has not been able to catch a break. Yeah, um, again, just you hate to see it for a guy like that um, and someone who – um, you know, I think if he stays healthy his entire career, much like Cam Babb, could have been a, a very good contributor for the team um, and has proven to be a leader. Obviously, he was named a captain. Um, and it's just, you know, you just feel for a guy when that happens um, and, you know, wish him all the best. Hope he makes a full recovery. Maybe it's back on the field contributing next year. But, um, you know, it, it's it's just sometimes a reminder of, of what kind of sport we cover and these guys play. It's like, you know, I, it's brutal. Um, and, uh, that's just the reality of it. Yeah. I mean, going into last year, like I remember talking with Griffin on the podcast about how, you know, there was a chance court was going to be a starting safety last year. Like he was competing for that last year before injuries, uh, you know, derailed things for him. And, you know, now, I mean, unfortunately, like, you have to wonder like, you know, how, how much, how much more can court endure? How much more football can he have? Left? I think you'd hope that it, at the very least he can have that Cam Bab kind of moment that he can come back and, and, and he can play and he can have some sort of, you know, triumphant uh, stage in his Ohio state career, because certainly based on everything we've heard about court, he deserves that. He's the kind of guy the way he's worked that he deserves to have that. But unfortunately, uh, any any such playing time for Court Williams is going to have to wait until 2024. And that is also true for Bennett Christian, uh, the redshirt freshman tight end, for a different reason. He uh, has been ruled ineligible uh, for the entire season for uh, testing positive for a banned substance. He tested positive back in January. And per NCAA rules, uh, that means he's ineligible for an entire year. And so he will not play at all for the Buckeyes this season. And realistically, in, in terms of, you know, the depth chart for this year, this is not a major loss for Ohio State. I think probably at best he was going to be the fifth tight end on the depth chart this year uh, with, you know, Cade Stover, G. Scott, Joe Royer, Jelani Furman, you know, likely to be the top four in some order. But it does seem like, based on what Ryan Day said Monday, that they maybe do have a little bit of concern about the depth behind Kate Stover at tight end because uh, Joe Royer has been uh, sidelined at practice recently. Uh, G Scott, Ryan Day uh, was very complimentary of G's development, but still kind of suggested that maybe G isn't all the way there to where they fully trust him as a blocker yet. And then Jelani is a guy we've heard a lot of good things about dating back to the spring, but you know, kind of like we talked about offensive tackle tight end has typically been a very developmental position at Ohio state. It's not typically a position where we've seen freshmen come in and play right away. And so even though Jelani is off to a great start, you know, he's one of the first guys in his class to lose his black stripe. He's not necessarily someone they want to have to lean on to play a ton this year. Yes. I think we're going to see a big year from Jelani next year, but for this year, yeah, he's not someone you want to lean on. I think, uh, you know, some of the injury concerns with Joe Royer, you hope to get him back soon. Um, if, if you're Ohio state, I, I think really though, um, outside Cade and, you know, G can make his contributions. I, it's, I don't know how important tight end depth is to this team. It's nice to have, you know, you want to have three for sure. You want to have three you can depend on. But if you have that in, in, in G and Joe and uh, when he's healthy and, and then Cade, 
it's you know, I, I don't I don't think it, it concerns me a whole lot because you you know this isn't an offense that is traditionally thrown to the tight end. Under Kevin Wilson, they used a lot of two tight end sets. Kevin Wilson has a very big tight end background. I'm curious to see how much they made use of two tight end sets this year, especially again. You know, they have it, they've had it the last few years, but you have the best group of receivers in the country. You know, I don't think you need to get out of a three receiver set much. And I, so I, I don't, I, I'm not as concerned about tight end depth as, um, you know, Day might be. It's his job as head coach to be. Um, but, you know, a couple, if, if K goes down, then you do start getting concerned about the tight end position at Ohio State because is G or Joe going to be up to the task uh, in that, in that case? Now, there was some huge news that happened last Wednesday, but it was after we recorded RealPod Wednesday. Well, after Chase and I recorded RealPod Wednesdays. And that was the news that Gene Smith, Ohio State's athletic director, uh, announcing he will retire at the end of June 2024. And I can't lie, I, I, I did not see this coming. Uh, we, we, had, we had been told there was going to be a press conference uh, with Gene that Wednesday morning, but... You know, I know that a lot of us had been, you know, wanting to talk to Gene about the Big Ten expansion with Oregon and Washington coming in. So I, I you know, I was walking into the room. I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be a good opportunity to talk to him about, you know, Big Ten expansion and all that and the state of college sports. And then, you know, he came in and, and dropped that uh, major news that this is going to be his final year as Ohio State's athletic director. And uh, certainly news that uh, I, I think is, you know, has some major ramifications because it's a little hard. I mean, at least for someone like me, you know, who's been covering Ohio State for, you know, six years, not 26 years. It, it's a little hard to imagine Ohio State athletics without Gene Smith because he's you know, this is going to be his 19th year as Ohio State's a- athletic director, and he's been such a fixture uh, in that athletic department. And, you know, certainly, uh, you know, he's had there's been moments that have been tough, but he's had to navigate whether that was the tattoo gate scandal back in 2011, whether that was, uh, you know, Zach Smith, Urban Meyer situation in 2018, whether that was the COVID year and Ohio State almost not playing a football season in 2020. You know, there's been uh, some difficult things he's had to to navigate. And, you know, those have at times maybe led to uh, criticism from the fan base that I, I don't know that I would necessarily agree with. But, you know, want to be clear of it, you know, his tenure at Ohio State hasn't necessarily been perfect. But I, I think if you sum up the whole of what Gene Smith has been to Ohio State. I I think he has done far more good than bad for Ohio State athletics. I think the 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 things that he has done for the athletic department are going to have a lasting impact uh for for many years to come and and he's someone who uh certainly uh I think is going to leave Ohio State athletics in a better place than he found it. Absolutely. And that's especially true of, you know, some of the sports we don't always talk about. Right. Uh, I think he's had massive facilities upgrades for so many of, uh, you know, the, what we would call maybe the non-revs or the Olympic sports, however you want to refer to those, you know, getting new facilities for the wrestling team, for the volleyball team. I know one of the biggest projects he wanted to accomplish before he leave was a new hockey rink, which the women's team needed after winning a national title. Um, he got that done. And, you know, that's that's in the process of happening. But it's, you know, it's just all the ways that he's built programs and made 
Ohio State nationally competitive in a vast array of sports that they weren't before. You know, he's responsible for Tom Ryan and how the wrestling program surged. He's responsible, partially at least, he's partially responsible for what women's basketball is doing right now. He's partially responsible for Nadine Musserall and what she's done with with the women's hockey team. So I, he's really made the entire umbrella of Ohio State sports better. Um, and honestly, too, just someone, um, when my interactions with him that I've had, I've had a few one-on-one conversations with Gene. He um, always treated me and everyone I've seen him around him with great respect, with great care and kindness. And um, someone I'm, you know, it's going to be weird to see him go. And uh, I think uh, Ohio State fans should be kind of saddened by his departure because he has done a lot of great things for Ohio State athletics. Yeah. How, how are these for impressive stats? These are from Ohio State's release on Gene Smith's retirement. During Smith's tenure, Ohio State has won 115 team and 369 individual conference championships, as well as 32 team and 117 individual national championships. I mean, you talk about some of the teams there, you know, women's hockey, wrestling, and certainly football won a national championship during his tenure. You just look across the board at the many, many sports that Ohio State has had success in over the past two decades. And, and you're absolutely right that, you know, we talk so much about football and basketball, and it, it is reality that I think, you know, for at least some of our listeners, that they are going to judge the athletic director, especially here in Columbus, particularly on how football succeeds. You know, basketball is a part of it. The other sports are a part of it. Football is always going to get the spotlight. So, there are people for, for some people out there, Gene's legacy is going to be that Ohio State played in a meaningless Gator Bowl and got a postseason ban the next year. Like that, it shouldn't be his legacy. It shouldn't be. But for some people, that's going to be what he's most remembered by. When you see the people who are, are, you know, tweeting or whatever when he was leaving, like good riddance or, you know, about time or whatever, you know, but those people are focusing on things like that, you know, little, little, specific specific things over a 19 year tenure at least in my opinion you know but little specific things that probably went negatively for the football team and are summing that up in his legacy whereas when i think when you look at the totality of what gene smith has accomplished at at ohio state i think it's undeniable that he has had a a massive impact on ohio state sports as a whole and for that end nationally in the Big Ten as well, because he's been a very influential voice, not only in Columbus, but around the Big Ten and throughout the entire country. Right. And uh, I mean, he served on a college football playoff committee, right? He's had uh, those high profile positions. I will be interested to see how, if at all, Ohio State's NIL approach changes after he leaves, because their strategy as it relates to that in terms of, you know, not, not even approaching inducements, you know, doing some of the things that other schools are willing to do has, you know, it's been, it's come from him first and foremost. Um, and, you know, day has always been aligned with his values in that area, but uh, I'm just curious to see if the approach changes at all. Um, as he kind of leaves, uh, this, this role, it might not, it's just one, I guess, curiosity I have as, uh, as this happens, there's obviously much bigger storylines that with, uh, with an athletic director leaving. Um, and I'll be, you know, of course, curious to see who they get to replace him. Um, cause you know, he's been a mainstay 
uh, all my entire, you know, since, since I've had object permanence almost, he's, he's been Ohio state's athletic director. So, you know, for me, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be very weird to see him not in that position come next year. No, that, that is a good point. Cause I think for probably a lot of fans out there, that probably is one of the biggest things they're looking at with a new athletic director is how are they going to approach NIL? How are they going to make sure that Ohio state stays competitive in what has become a very important space? So I think without a doubt, of a new athletic director, that is going to be an important thing that they're going to have to be able to stay on the cutting edge of NIL. And I and I do think I think Gene has adapted. I think you know if you if you are looking for things to criticize Gene on, I think it would be a valid critique to say that Ohio State was too cautious out of the gates in terms of NIL, and that certainly starts from the top down. And so I, I do think that's a valid critique uh, of, of Gene is to say that you know Ohio State probably was not as aggressive as it needed to be in NIL initially, but I do think that has evolved. I think Ohio State has recognized a, a need to get more involved in NIL and to not be afraid of NCAA rules that aren't actually being enforced. And so I yes. think I, I I do think that, you know, he's evolved and I think even over the next year before he leaves, I think he's going to continue to evolve to try to set that stage for the next person. And you know, I think the you know the question now with the next person is going to be okay does Ohio State bring in somebody who's maybe worked for Gene, is already familiar with Ohio State? Because they have several candidates out there who would fit that bill, who would be logical candidates to fill this role. You know, we, we were told last week by a well-placed source that Washington State Athletic Director Pat Chun is expected to get uh, significant consideration for this job. He's somebody who's an Ohio State alum. He's from Strongsville, Ohio. He worked in the athletic department uh, for 15 years of many of those years being under Gene Smith. You know, he's he was the AD at Florida Atlantic University. He's now at Washington State. So he's got a decade of athletic director experience, a lot of local experience at Ohio State. Uh, certainly somebody who I think is very well regarded within college athletics and who would make a lot of sense for that role. You know, two other names would have come up a lot, but would also be very logical for the same reasons. Uh, Heather Like, who worked for Ohio State also for 15 years. She's currently the AD at Pitt. And then Martin Jarmond, who's currently the AD at UCLA. Uh, he was previously the AD at Boston College, and he, uh, I believe, spent nine years working alongside Gene Smith at Ohio State. And so they, they've got some logical candidates there if they want to prioritize continuity. And in my mind, I think that probably is what they will do because we just talked about all the success Ohio State has had. Ohio State does not need to bring in an athletic director to tear everything down and start anew. They, they, they have a lot already working well. So is the new athletic director going to come in with some new ideas and make some of their own changes? Sure, and they should. But I, I also don't think Ohio State needs to look for somebody to reinvent the wheel and do things completely differently because I think, I mean, you're talking about an athletic department that brought in the most money of any athletic department last year. Now, they spent the most too, but they 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 they, they made money. They they made money. They've had success in so many different sports. You know, I and I think, you know, Ohio State is probably going to prioritize continuity over radical change here. Now, the one variable in that is Ohio State hasn't even named a university president yet. So Obviously, the next university president is going to have a say in who gets hired. I mean, who knows? They could hire a president from another big school, and that person could say, 
they they might already they might have an AD at their current school and want to bring them along. So obviously the new president is going to have a major say in who the new athletic director is. But I think Gene Smith's going to have a say in that process too, uh, because just because of how well respected he is. And I I I would certainly think the odds are high that the new athletic director is going to be someone who has already been at Ohio State, has a lot of familiarity with Ohio State. And and I will say, I don't think it's going to be Jim Tressel or Urban Meyer. I know, I know <laughs> that there's I know that there's I know that there's a lot of fans out there who have called for Jim Tressel or Urban Meyer, but you know, I mean Jim Jim Tressel just retired as a president of Youngstown State. I, I think Jim Tressel at his age, I think he's ready to be retired. I don't think he's looking to lead the Ohio State Athletic Department right now. And I think Urban is is happy doing what he's doing on on Fox and all that. So I do not expect either of them to be candidates for the job, but I do think it is likely that whoever gets the job will be somebody who's been at Ohio State in some capacity before. Right. And I, I don't think, I'm not sure it would be the greatest look to hire Urban as your AD after what happened with the Jacksonville Jaguars and his tenure there. Uh, but you, you know, you never know um, as far as like how that would influence their decision. But like you said, I think he's happy of his role at Fox. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting search for sure. And, um, you know, you got to get the president figured out first. Um, but, you know, Gene's staying on through, um, you know, summer of 2024. So uh, I think that, you know, they've, they've got time to, to get everything sorted. One interesting question that I know was raised in, you know, our company Slack channel last week was, does this make the seat a little bit hotter? for Ryan Day and Chris Holtman, because we, I mean, I know I was asked in our, on our weekly chat on the 11 Warriors forums just last week about how long I thought Ryan Day would continue to be the head coach at Ohio state. And one of the points I made when I said, you know, I thought, you know, it's probably more likely than not, but he's going to continue to be Ohio state's head coach for quite some time is, you know, Ryan, uh, Gene Smith has shown that, you know, he, he is patient with his hires and he's loyal to his hires and he is not going to make rash decisions because you know he's not going to fire ryan day just because they lost to michigan he's not going to fire chris holtman just because he missed the NCAA tournament that happens enough times in a row he will but he he's shown that he he he's going to take a long-term view on things when it comes to coaching decisions and he's not going to be quick to just fire somebody because the fans are unhappy with the team's performance in one season however the new athletic director could have a different outlook on things and the new athletic director could might not have any loyalty to these guys. I mean, depending on where they come from, you know, they could have their own ideas. And so I I do wonder for both of those guys, whether we're talking about, you know, Ryan day really needing to beat Michigan after two losses to Michigan in a row, or Chris Holtman really needing to make some noise in the NCAA tournament. Does the seat warm up a little bit for those guys just knowing that there's going to be a new person in charge of the athletic department a year from now. Well, the interesting thing about it is, of course, they're going to play, each of them are going to play a full season before that time, right? So in Holtman's case, um, and, you know, I've, I've started, you know, I, I am going to be the main basketball writer here. So I've, I've, I've reached out to Chris. I've reached out to some of the Ohio State coaching staff to start you know, developing those ties. And this is this is an important year for Chris. It's a very important year. Um, you know, given what happened last year, you can't string back to back years like that together. If you know Ryan goes out and they accomplish everything they want to accomplish this year, they win a national championship. Obviously, he's not going to. 
it doesn't matter, <laughs> right? It's not going to matter what happens at athletic director. But if you have another year where you lose to Michigan, um, you fall short of everything you want to accomplish. Um, you know, it, it, it becomes interesting. I don't think it would be enough to get him fired um, after the season, certainly not by Gene and by, uh, you know, it, it, then it's going to be the summer, you know, if Chris doesn't do, if Chris doesn't get fired by Holt, by Gene this offseason, it's just a weird timing to, you know, when the next athletic director is coming in, it's the offseason for both sports. You know, when you fire somebody, it happens right after the season or in extreme cases during. So it's it sets the stage for a hotter seat in 2024 for either guy if you don't achieve the goals, get the success you want this season. I think that's when it really starts to feel it. I don't think you feel you feel extra pressure because of next year, maybe. Um, but I, I it's it's not gonna make their seats any warmer this season. It's for next season. And then if you have a bad season this season, it, it adds to that heat. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. I mean, yeah, I mean to your to your point, both of those sports, I don't think a new athletic director is going to come in in July next year and decide on their first day, I'm going to fire coach. Like, I, I, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I, and, and to be clear, like, I think it is far more likely than not that Ryan day is still going to be Ohio state's football coach a year from now. I, I don't yeah. think he's going to get, I mean, you know, if, if Ohio state football goes eight and four this year, it might be a different story, but you know, I, I don't think, you know, I think it's too simple to say Ryan day's job is on the line in the Michigan game this year. I, I do think that if, if, Ohio State loses to Michigan this year that I do think the seat gets a little warmer going into next year. I do because you have to beat Michigan at, at, at Ohio State. That's that's you know kind of prerequisite one of the job. And so I think you know if Ohio State doesn't beat Michigan, if they don't achieve their major goals again this year, I I do think things start to get a little bit warmer for Ryan Day going into next year. But I I, I agree that I think. You know, I, I don't think that would mean a new AD is going to come in in July and fire Ryan Day. I think that would mean, though, that he may have more to prove. You know, he may, he, he, you know, he may, he may go in, depending on how this year goes, he may go into 2024 needing to prove himself more to his new boss than maybe he would have with Gene Smith. You know, with Chris Holtman, like you said, I mean, I mean, my vantage point on Chris Holtman even before this news was Chris Holtman needs to make the NCAA tournament this year. I think if he misses the NCAA tournament two years in a row, then there have to at least be conversations. And so, you know, I think if, if Ohio state men's basketball misses the tournament for a second year in a row, then there's going to be conversations e- even, you know, and, and Ohio state, you know, depending on the timing there, we're talking mid March or whatever, Ohio State may have a new athletic director selected by then potentially. And so if they do, you know, that person could be involved in any decisions about the future of the Ohio State men's basketball program based on how this season goes. So, you know, like I said, I mean, I do think, you know, certainly like if you're talking about whose seat is hotter going into this year, it would be Chris Holtman than Ryan Day. I don't know that I would say that either of them are like hot yet but i i do think for holtman more so than day like there's definitely now even more pressure to perform this year because i think you know if I, let's say ohio state men's basketball hypothetically if they were to miss the ncaa tournament this year and then a new ad comes in with a men's basketball coach who had lost who had missed the ncaa tournament two years in a row 
at that point, I think certainly you would have to put him firmly on the hot seat. Yeah, um, and, it, and it's an interesting discussion to be had with Dave, too, about this year's Michigan game. Because, I mean, it, is that even, like, it, it'll be curious to see how good Michigan is this year. But it's on the road, and they're ranked number two in the AP poll ahead of Ohio State right now, who's number three. It's it's still, I mean, it's going to make his seat warmer if he loses to Michigan this year. But that's a it's, it's going to be a really tough game to win. Um, and you wonder about the expectations if that's, you know, if Ohio State goes 12 and one, misses the Big Ten title game again, wins a big bowl game. I, it's still going to be viewed as a um, disappointing season, but I think in the Ohio State consciousness. And that's just interesting to think about. Not doesn't really relate to the discussion we were having, but I, I, it's just like a thought I've had, you know. Yeah, well, that's certainly a conversation that uh, we will have again, you know, in November about Ohio State, Michigan and whatever happens uh, from there. We'll certainly talk more about that then. One more thing to talk about today. Uh, There was a report on Tuesday from Brett McMurphy that Ohio State's October 7 homecoming game against Maryland, unless it is flexed to another network, is currently expected to be a 3.30 p.m. game on Peacock, and we knew it was only a matter of time before Ohio State was going to play a streaming-exclusive game on Peacock. Uh, And as you might expect, a a lot of people have thoughts on this. As I look here on Tuesday evening as we're recording, almost 200 comments on the 11 Warriors story about the possibility that uh, Ohio State uh, could, could play its fifth game of the year this year on Peacock. So certainly a a lot of people uh, have takes on that. I think a lot of them from the fan base are negative. I'm I'm curious on your perspective, Andy, because Griffin and I talked a little bit about this before about, you know, the, the, the reality, like it or not, like streaming is coming to college sports. I mean, we saw in the PAC 12 before it disintegrated, they were, in talks to sign a deal that was going to be almost exclusively streaming. And so like it or not, if you want to watch every Ohio state football game going forward, there's, there's going to be games that are not available on traditional television, but you're going to have to have one streaming package or another to watch that. That's just the reality. Uh, it's, 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 it's where we're headed, but I'm curious for your perspective on Andy, especially you're somebody who grew up here in Ohio. You've been watching Ohio state your whole life. What do you think about this reality that we're stepping into now where streaming services are going to be necessary to watch some Ohio state games? You know, it it is, um, such an interesting development, you know, and, and I've grown up in an era where everyone cuts the cord or not everyone, but you know, a lot of people are cutting the cord. Now I personally don't have cable. I, um, I do have Peacock ironically enough, but I, I think it's valid for any fan who wants to be upset about this. It's a way it's fi- totally fine to feel, you know, you, you've got to pay for another service to watch your favorite team play a game. It's annoying. Now, like you said, it is the, uh, it's just the reality of the situation. NBC, from a business perspective, it's very good for them um, to attract subscribers in that way because people are cutting through the cord. They're making me- less money off of cable than ever before. And sports is the last real reliable bastion for cable networks. Uh, you know, that's why teams are getting, conferences are getting these multi-billion dollar deals now is because sports are the one thing that you could always rely on for viewership. So the fact that they're transitioning is is, is a smart business decision for them. It's going to suck for some consumers. Um, and, and it's totally valid from their perspective, I think, to feel angry about this. 
Um, but if, but that same token, it's just the reality that of the world we're living in now. Um, we're, you know, cable, less and less people have cable nowadays. It's more and more on the streaming services. And so um, the networks are going to use whatever games they can leverage, you know, not the big ones, but, you know, in Ohio State, Maryland, for instance, to, to, to push the streaming services they have and convert what used to be their cable viewership revenue to streaming revenue because that's the future. So um, it's an unfortunate reality, but I think fans have every right to be a little upset about it. Yeah. I mean, change is hard, right? Like it, it, you know, it, it change, there's always going to be pushed back to change. And I think this is a pretty big change. I mean, I think if you, you would go back to whenever, you know, Ohio state played on cable for the first time. Like I remember when Ohio state first played on the big 10 network, like a lot of people didn't have it. And like, that was a big change. So like, this is kind of the next evolution of that, uh, of a change that people are, are going to have to get used to. It's going to take some, some getting used to, you know, I, I think like the one thing that for me is like, you know, I see a lot of comments about like, you know, like putting it behind a paywall or whatever. And like, I'm not a cord cutter. I have a cable subscription. Like cable is not cheap. Like, let me tell you, like, it's like, yep. it's, it's, you know, like I think sometimes this gets represented as if like games on cable are free, you know, it's like, which they're not, they're not like now I get the frustration. I understand that I have feel the frustration myself as somebody who has cable because I'm already paying this exorbitant amount of money for cable. And now I have to pay for these other streaming subscriptions on top of that to watch all the stuff I want to watch. So it's definitely like, it's, it's a valid gripe for people to have, because I think, you know, when, when, when cord cutting kind of first came to the forefront, it was kind of this idea of like, you're going to save money by you know, not having cable and, and you still can, but I think you look at realistically a future where this is just the start where you could have, games on peacock and apple tv and amazon and hulu netflix whatever you, you we could get to a point where a team is playing games on four or five different streaming services over the course of a season and now you start adding all those up well then you you're not even saving money compared to cable so it's definitely a very legitimate gripe for people to have but I do, I, I do, the one thing I do kind of look at it is it's like, it's like, it's not as if the games on cable are, are free. So, you know, I mean, I, I think, I think in due time, like the more of it, these games go to streaming, there's probably going to be more and more people go, okay, then why am I paying for cable? If I have to pay for this too. Like, I think that's going to be a valid cons- concern that people have, but I, 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 I guess that's, that's just like the one thing for me, but it's like when, when, when people act as voices, like some like absolutely egregious thing that a game's going to be on Peacock, it's like, well, Peacock, I think it's like, I think the premium is like 10 bucks a month. Like if Ohio state plays one game on Peacock, you could theoretically subscribe for one month, unsubscribe. It's or just get a free trial. Yeah. And one good thing about streaming is it's a lot easier to unsubscribe from streaming than it is cable where they make you call and sit on the phone for two hours just just to just to cancel it. So that's the one positive is that it's easier to subscribe and unsubscribe to different streaming services to pause them and, and whatnot. Um, so that, that's that's the positive. You know, the negative is it's one more thing you got to pay for to watch a game. And, and certainly, I mean, I'm sure even among our listeners, I'm sure there's going to be people who say, 
well, if I have to pay 10 bucks to watch this one Ohio State game, maybe I'm just not going to watch this one. You know, I mean, that's going to happen. I'm sure the ratings are not going to be what they are for a televised Ohio State game, even on cable. But the reality is NBC's looking at it and saying, the amount of subscribers that this is going to drive to us, enough Ohio State, we know how rabid the Ohio State fan base is. NBC's looking at it and going, the number of subscribers that we can get from Ohio State fans watching this game on Peacock, that is going to outweigh any lack of ratings compared to if the game was on linear television. And here's the reality for, for the Big Ten to get this $70 million a year that every school is apparently going to get, streaming's got to be part of that because the networks are not giving the Big Ten that kind of money without trying to maximize their investment. And so, you know, you talked before about NIL, you talked before about, you know, Ohio State doing everything it's going to do to position itself to be competitive in the future. One of the biggest ways that, you know, not only Gene has done that, but the new athletic director is going to do that is to try to encourage the Big Ten to get as much media rights revenue as possible. And I, it's not what some people are going to want to hear, but I, I, I think this is probably the tip of the iceberg. I think, you know, one yeah. Ohio State game being on Peacock this year, that's probably the tip of the iceberg. When you get to the next streaming deal seven years from now, or the next media rights deal seven years from now, streaming is probably going to be a bigger part of that, at least if things continue trending the way they are. So it's definitely going to be a difficult change. I'm definitely uh, interested to see if if that comes to fruition, because it could still change. But if that game ends up being played on Peacock, I'm going to be interested to see uh, what it's like, how many fans watch, all of that. But I, I do think that uh, it's something that, um, you know, there maybe people who choose not to embrace it and just say, screw it, I'm not going to watch those games. You know, maybe, maybe you lose some of the overall college football watching population by doing this. But I, 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 I do think that it's just reality that for people who want to watch every college football game, they're, they're going to have to increasingly incorporate streaming in, into part of that process. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it's for NBC also, it allows them to double dip because I'm sure they're going to have a 3.30 game in the main network slot at, at that time. Um, probably a bigger game than Ohio State Maryland. And, and yeah, it's just going to be a big part of the future. And, you know, more people are, uh, you know, there's also there's also bootlegging, which is easier than ever to do, um, which people I'm sure people will take advantage of. But, yeah, this is going to drive a lot of subscribers to Peacock for uh, NBC. And I think it, it, it honestly isn't going to take a huge percentage of the Ohio State fan base because it is so big, um, you know, subscribing to Peacock to make that a worthwhile investment for NBC. So, uh it's, it's the way of the future, unfortunately, and, uh, you know, people are just going to have to adjust however they see fit. Yeah, and, and probably worth pointing out, too, that, you know, there's, this is a little bit of a transitional year for the media rights for the Big Ten because CBS still has one more year to fulfill on its its SEC deal. And so if CBS is going to have that 330 time slot every week for Big Ten games a year from now, but they don't have it this year. So that does limit a little bit the number of, national network time slots that are available uh, for the Big Ten. And so that probably is one factor as well in pushing, you know, because this is not the game. I, I, I'm i not surprised Ohio State is playing a game on Peacock this year. I would not have guessed Ohio State Maryland because like I think Maryland is probably going to be the fourth best team in the Big Ten East this year. Like I think that's like a game that has the potential to be competitive. And so I would have thought, you know, whether it was a Western Kentucky or even like a Rutgers might have been more likely to fill that peacock slot, but 
you know, I it would seem that NBC Universal's throwing its weight around there a little bit and trying to get some games on Peacock. They don't they don't want Peacock to just be the home of the leftover scrap games. They they want Peacock to have some noteworthy games on there. I mean, I think they have Michigan State, Washington on there as well. So they they don't want Peacock to just be the, the table scraps. They want they want some significant games on Peacock. And if if it comes to fruition that Ohio State Maryland is on there, that would certainly qualify. Right. And, uh, you know, the unfortunate news you mentioned CBS for Ohio State fans is I'm sure there will be games on Paramount Plus in the future. Um, you know, that's uh, yeah, it's not other... part of this media rights deal, but it could be the next time around. But yeah. That, well, yeah, uh, I guess in the further future then. Um, but yeah, I um, yeah, it's just an interesting shifting landscape of college football that we're covering right now between all the media rights stuff, conference realignments, um, you know, the freaking transfer portal. <laughs> All of it, you know, is NIL. It's it's been such an interesting time to come up in this world of sports journalism, um, and then and, you know, here I am at Eleven Warriors, where it all started. So, uh, great place to be. Well, just the beginning for you here at Eleven Warriors, Andy. Uh, the first episode of many to come uh, with you here on Real Pod Wednesdays, and so uh, we hope you'll join us again next week as we draw ever closer to the start of the college football season uh, here in Columbus. Thanks for listening in, and we'll talk to you again next week.